1: Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to another episode of Missing Frames. This is the podcast where we watch all the movies we should have seen by this point in our lives. I'm your host, Sean Eastridge, and we're kind of cheating a little bit with this episode. I haven't decided if we're doing a between takes or if this will be an official Missing Frames episode. We'll find out. You'll know by the time this is released, but... Because I'm not so sure I need someone to support me and help me through this episode, I've brought on John Mills returning once again to Missing Frames. Welcome, John.
2: Because as part of this discussion, it's about sequels. Exactly. So we have to have
1: you back. That's just the way it works. And we are going to be going through the entire Mission Impossible franchise. And I say we're cheating with this episode because... We've seen these movies. <laughs> Both yes. of us have seen them. They're, uh we're, we're using F- Mission Impossible Fallout as our excuse to have a whole
2: episode devoted to this franchise. Because
1: frankly, this franchise is amazing.
2: Uh, yeah, on the whole, it is. You're absolutely right. And revisiting it, this see that I consider this like the forgotten blockbuster franchise. And what's so interesting is that you can go through and see how action movies have developed over the last two decades just in the mission. Like, this is seriously like an anthropologist's dream to study how filmmaking has changed since the late 90s. And, like, I, re- I hadn't watched the first one or the second one in a very long time. And even visiting the second one was very telling and very interesting. And, uh, like, you know, I- I'm really looking forward to Fallout now you know it, yeah it's, me it's too really cool just seeing all of this stuff build up
1: i mean of course i was excited for infinity war and and all that stuff all the big movies but frankly i think uh shockingly mission impossible fallout might be my my most anticipated film of the summer i just love these movies so much and they they hold such a special place in my heart and it's interesting like you're saying this watching the trajectory of these movies watching the different styles that's so much fun that's part of what I love about watching these movies whenever I go back and you see each director has a very specific stamp on these movies that really makes it unique in the world of like long-running action movies because with Bond every Bond movie for the most part has a similar identity. They have different vibes, they sometimes feel different, but for the most part, you know what you're getting into when you see a James Bond movie. With Mission Impossible, right from the get-go, like you said, between the first two movies, it's clear they had no clue what to do with these movies or how to give them a unique identity.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, the first one is very obviously, like, we like to talk about the nostalgia train now. This is, it's at the boarding station with Mission Impossible. This was, I mean, the, everybody forgets the 1990s when they brought back the Avengers TV show, not the one with Iron Man, but, you know, the Patrick Mcnee show, because they had Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman bring that back. They brought yep. back stuff like the Phantom. Batman and Robin brought back the Batman 1960s TV show, and so Mission and Impossible... And also, I mean... Let's not
1: forget uh, Goldeneye. Goldeneye had come out in 1995, the year before. So Bond had been rebooted and was back on top again. And uh, I think that may have... uh, Well, I mean, let's just get right into it. Let's let's just start with the first Mission Impossible. So, you know, 1996, like you're saying, kind of released right around this point where TV franchises were being rebooted. And it was that kind of craze where people wanted to see big budget versions of their favorite classic TV shows and Mission Impossible was one of those that got caught up in that and Tom Cruise had been looking for a vehicle to star as an action hero which it's kind of funny because I I was you know I was nine years old when this movie came out I was in like second or third grade I was very young so to me Tom Cruise has always been an action star and it's shocking to think that Mission Impossible before this movie he wasn't really, uh, there was Top yeah. Gun, but for the most part he was in kind of like, he'd been delving into a little bit more serious fare, he'd been in A Few Good Men by this point, I think, but like, yep. hadn't wasn't considered an action star in the slightest, really.
2: No, uh, I, I w- I'm older than you, of course, and so I remember when this came out, and the funniest thing about watching it now is it's it's very interesting because i can clearly see like at the time it was just a movie and since then i've run across you and schindler and other people who have helped me sort of like refine like what i'm looking at and sort of like educate myself over time and if anybody's name is left off of that list um it wasn't intentional it's So because he hates you well i mean yeah but that's not mutually exclusive with you know that they helped <laughs> me understand and stuff like that but I can see what De Palma brought to it, but at the same time, it's so, it it is, like, if this were to come out today, people would say, oh, it's slavishly um, reverential of the original material. But now you look Mm -hmm. back at it, and you're like, yeah, yeah. It should be, and that's what makes this work so well because De Palma still gets his psychological camera angles like the extreme undershots and stuff like that to emphasize powerlessness and and devilry and stuff like that. And on top of that, I remember an article uh, in, I think it was Washington Post magazine at the time, the title of it being, and as a Talking Heads fan, you'll enjoy this, Stop Making Sense. And it specifically (laughs) targeted Mission Impossible. I'm pretty sure it was uh, Stephen Hunter, the main critic uh, for The Washington Post at the time, wrote it. I could be wrong. And the premise of the article was they actually referenced Dada as an art movement and said that Mission Impossible was a jumbled mess where plot didn't matter anymore and all of that. And I look at it now and I compare it to some of the stuff we've gotten and I look at it and I say, no, this is this is an incredibly coherent movie. I don't know what the hell oh, they were I were talking
1: about. I mean, it's very... Um, it's definitely very... Uh, I don't want to say confusing, but you, you, there is a good chunk of the movie where you're like, wait, what's going on? Who's that person? Who double-crossed who? Why is that person wearing a mask? And it's funny that, speaking of the critical reaction, to look back and realize this movie did not get a great reception. Because to me, Mission Impossible is a classic and i think people do mm-hmm. consider it a classic there's so much iconic imagery in the movie the scene where they're at Langley it just feels like it's become such a part of cinematic language oh, and co-
0: like yes the conversation yeah.
1: so to think of it in any way that is not like yes mission impossible is on that list of great fun action thrillers that that's kind of funny to me to look back and even today it's it's got like a 60 percent on Rotten Tomatoes right on the edge
2: of being fresh what but what cracks me up most of all is while I was watching it that big train sequence at the end is so obviously you know CG doesn't hold up over time and then you have the blue screen elements uh, you know where we're just in the early stages of using you know blue screen green screen mixes and like the digital backgrounds and stuff like that and seeing Tom Cruise go and seeing the blurring around the edges to cleverly hide matte lines and stuff like that, and just looking at it and thinking to myself, this is 20-some-odd years ago, and he's doing blue screen and is on wires, and by the time we get to the fourth one, when he's much older, he's hanging off wires from the birched <laughs> <For We're> by, like <laughs> hanging off airplanes, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, it's almost as if you can trace in the Mission Impossible movies as well this response... To people wanting to see bigger and more spectacular stunts and always calling out the fakery. Like it's like they it's it's almost like Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. Uh the series has specifically thrown down the gauntlet and saying, Fine, you want to see crazy stunts? I'm gonna do crazy stunts. And I almost want to go back in a time machine yeah. and be like, Tom, ignore all of that. You're putting your life at risk. Please <laughs> calm down. You know, I'm worried about <laughs> that But at the same time, now. that's
1: that's what's given this franchise its edge. And as soon as they realized yeah. it, the movies have only gotten better. But it's you see it in the first movie. I think it's funny that um, the film, you know, we've gotten so used to, and again, Bond has kind of trained us. And this was yeah. a criticism leveled against the movie, which, you know, talking about it now, it's funny, you know, to me, it doesn't feel absent of action it doesn't feel absent of suspense i'm very involved and engaged the entire time and i find it very exciting but at the time people were like oh nothing explodes nothing does you know it's so boring Uh it's more about like plot twists and i'm like that's kind of great and that's a really great way to set up a contrast to bond it's it's a very uh specific and unique statement right out of the gate but you know the opening sequence in in action franchises we are trained to expect big explosions big action and it's a scene where it's just like they're trying to get information from uh, a guy they've disguised the, the big uh the big reveal the big uh exciting yeah. special effect is that tom cruise takes off a mask and it's like yeah. oh that's cool but that's it and it ends with like you know they uh they save one of the agents who's under uh, the influence of whatever drug they've given her to make her seem like she's dead they save her and that's the end it's like oh we got it we did it and then it cuts straight to the the credits and it's like wait that wasn't an action sequence but it it's a really effective way to sh- kind of show like we're not James Bond, we're doing our own thing. This is about kind of yeah. espionage more than the the guns and the explosions.
2: And then we get to part 2.
1: <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you before we get to part 2. Do you because re- yeah. I I remember I have such a funny story about seeing Mission Impossible for the first time. Like I said, I was 9 years old. I didn't know anything about it um and my my dad and his friend really wanted to see it because they'd been huge fans of the tv series and i remember my dad one night he's like we're gonna go see a movie we're going to see mission impossible and i was like dad i don't want to see mission impossible that mo- week and i i started coming up with an excuse like excuses why we couldn't i was like it's rated r i can't see it and my dad's like it's not rated r it's pg-13 we're going to go <laughs> see this movie but i was so like didn't i so didn't want to see it and I just remember my nine-year-old brain being blown like I'd just seen the coolest movie
0: yeah. I'd
2: ever seen. But do you remember – did you see this in theaters? Do you remember what that was like? I did. I uh, I did, and I enjoyed it a lot, and I enjoyed it enough that I went with some friends to a drive-in, one of the rare remaining drive-ins of the time, to see it a second time. And it was a double feature, fortunately the second one to make everybody stick around. uh, It it was the second billing, uh, the first film of that double feature was Black Sheep, starring Chris Farley. There you go. So so I have those movies permanently glued together (laughs) in my brain, unfortunately. Just
1: just as they should be. But yeah, yeah, so yeah, let's let's move on to the second one. Uh, The first one, directed by Brian De Palma, very... Memorable, exciting, fun, uh, very distinct kind mm-hmm. of style to it. Uh, Two has a style. It, Two has a distinct it style. It does have a style. I mean, it's it, they got another uh, director who had a trademark visual style and sensibility. Mm. Yes,
2: and somehow none of that carried over into the movie. Ah, uh, some. Now, now the thing is, and I. Uh, I have to give, of course, you know, Mike Schindler credit because this is—he's who I learned it from. But uh, Stuart Baird is the guy who came in because the original cut for this was like three and a half hours long, and the oh, studio no. and apparently Wu was like, "No, it needs." Well, have you ever seen John Wu's uh, movies, like Hard Boiled? You know, I haven't.
1: I really want to, because there... I have not. S- I've only <laughs> seen a couple, and I don't like spoiler, they, I don't like Mission Impossible 2 and I don't like Face uh, Off, which is the only other one I've seen.
2: They are three hours long and they are a lot of this. A lot of this oh, same geez. thing. And apparently they, they said, Stuart Baird, save us. And he rolled up his sleeves and cut an hour and a half out of the movie. And it's still My and God. it's still coherent. Think about Give what that incredible man editor an he is. Yeah. <laughs> this And and the thing is, I always think about Doug Ray Scott, um, like he must look at Mission Impossible. He must hate it with it because he was Wolverine and then reshoots (laughs) for this, lost him the part and Hugh Jackman becomes like the biggest star in the world. Right, right. Good Lord. Um, But Mission Impossible 2, I realized something watching it. There was somebody's style who's operating today that it reminded me of. I'm not saying a one-to-one, but it reminded me of. Who is that? Zack Snyder because mission impossible <laughs> mission listen to me listen to me here listen to me here I'm not saying that as a cheap dig and I'm not saying it as a joke but one of the things that makes Mission impossible too hard to plug into is an obsession with slow motion moments right where right. The action slows down as sort of and it seems over time it wears you out because it feels like a substitute for actual emotion. It's slowing things down to make it seem like it. I like I, I'm a person who fixates on and is highly critical of slow motion as a tool because I think you have to be very careful about using it appropriately. But I see that same sort of tendency within, for instance, the opening of Batman versus Superman where with the Bruce Wayne memory is like when you go back and revisit that, it's like, this is really taking a little too long and fixating on some things here, and then there, are, yeah. you know, there are other but, tendencies in that. And again, go to three hundred. What's one of the trademark things in that is the action slowing down as they fall off the cliff and stuff like that. And keep in mind, right, I love slowing down and speeding up. It's you right. know,
1: I, I don't know if I one hundred percent agree, but I see where you're you're getting that from. And I, with Snyder, he kind of evokes a kind of dreamlike. Uh, sense of like there's something slightly hyper realistic about what's going on it's not quite reality it's a so his slow motion I'm kind of with you I'm not a big fan of Snyder Um, I'm not a huge fan of that but I see kind of what he's going for what's funny about Mission Impossible 2 is you know it was released in 2000 so it's been four years since the first Mission Impossible which Years. Felt like Yeah, it, it, but it I remember it feeling like a long time because I do you remember the posters? I remember seeing the poster in a movie theater and not having a clue what it was. It's just Tom Cruise on fire with long hair, like flowing hair, he's got a cut on his cheek, and it just says M I too. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I have no clue what this is, I don't care. And then some somehow I realized I was like, am, wait, am I is that mission impossible? And I feel like the entire movie is basically that reaction, just perpetually. Just me going, is this Mission Impossible? Because it it doesn't feel at all like the first movie. Ethan Hunt is just like a cocksure jerk. And I I guess the problem, one of the complaints of the first one is like, oh, he seems kind of like... Uh, uh, sterile and and not passionate so let's just make him a jerk who like bangs everybody and is like really cool but it kind of turns him into like a smarmy (laughs) kind of character he's very sleazy feeling
2: it is it is an overcompensation i completely agree and i think that it i think that if you go back and you see uh you know john woo's old work this is that he's basically doing almost like a one to one, and the thing, but you see this in in face off as well. Look at the characters in that, the two main characters in that, and there, like, there's an obsession with that sort of pairing. And you know, I, hey, it got him a career, and God bless him for it. You know, that that's all well and good, and this was a successful movie. But like, it's a, it's one of those movies where it's successful, but I have yet to meet anybody that actually liked it. Like seriously, <laughs> and I, again, I'm not saying that as a joke or a dig. I'm saying it is like, it's an amazing thing because it's a lot like that whole Transformers phenomenon, where everybody you talk to hates the Transformers movies, but but they all go see it. Yeah, but like they're making hundreds of millions of dollars. So who the hell are the people going to see this if everybody I talk to doesn't like it? I you know it, it, it,
1: Mission Impossible Two is a movie I hate. I, I'll just say that <laughs> I I think it's it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But it is such a I. I you know, we were talking in the nerd party in our chat about like people are doing their Mission Impossible rewatches to get prepared for Fallout and a couple people have kind of been like, "Oh, I'm skipping two. But to me, as miserable as I am when I watch Mission Impossible 2, it f- it's such a fascinating experience because to me it shows a franchise that has no clue what direction it wants to go in and doesn't understand what makes it Unique, which is kind of falling back on like the team element, you know, working together, the espionage, the clever set pieces like Mission Impossible 2 does not have a single inspired or clever moment. Right. It's all it's... about like shoot 'em ups and flips and slow motion and hand to hand combat. That makes no sense. But it feels very evocative of the time like you were saying you know mission impossible the first one feels very much like of its era this feels so much of its era yeah. you know mission uh, uh the matrix had just been released and literally every action movie had to be the matrix which is funny because john woo kind of inspired that style of uh the the matrix some of the action sequences and it feels like mm-hmm. Now John Woo is trying to do an, a, a cheap imitation of The Matrix, which was an imitation of a style he'd kind of pioneered. And right. uh, it just feels tired. And And part of the problem, I think, is the plot is so standard, like there is an evil disease that we need to stop. The bad guy wants to get it so they can make millions of dollars and if it gets in, it'll destroy and kill every. And then they try to fit in this very shallow love story (laughs) where tom cruise and tandy newton are in love with each other out of nowhere they sleep together once they have a slow motion car chase sequence pulled straight from Goldeneye, (sighs) and uh it's 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 embarrassing to watch frankly It, it is it is such there are so many moments where it's like like tom cruise is just desperate to get his like hair flow on screen like he's really in love with that haircut and he like there's so many moments where his
2: his head will turn in slow motion as the hair like it's yeah it
1: was hard to tell who was Tandy
2: Newton and Tom Cruise in that car chase at times (laughs) I I think that she's criminally underused in the film too I couldn't agree more this is when people point to, you know, and, and people can argue back and forth about, you know, the role of women and, you know, uh, changing over time and film and stuff like that. But when you want to talk about a prime example of a film so in love with its own machismo that it basically treats the f- main female character as at best an afterthought. Here's your, here it is right here on a platter for you. Here's exhibit A right there. Oh, and, it, it's, and it's bad. And I. I-
1: I'm with you. I'm not like the, I I tell your story and tell it. Well, that's all I need. But this movie, I think Anthony hop, I can't remember what the line is, but Anthony Hopkins (sighs) says something like, she's a woman. What do you expect? And it was like, Oh my God. Right. (laughs) Yes. I I wish I could remember what the line is, but like, just look it up people. And I also think it's funny that Anthony Hopkins and Tandy Newton are in this movie together. And then you can see them in Westworld on HBO. But, um, that was a fun (laughs) little like, Oh, that's right. But, uh, you're I mean you're so right. Basically her character's function in this movie is to just be the like to to seduce the bad guy. It's like mm-hmm. I've got to use my womanly wiles to seduce the bad guy, but really I'm in love with Tom Cruise, but really I'm in love with and it's such a uh, it's it's hysterically bad and it's so bland and and everything about the first movie that made Mission Impossible feel unique and gave it an identity feels completely Gone. Yep. I mean, I'm I, the only thing I will give credit to is the fact that they brought Ving Rames back because I'm so glad he became a staple yes. of this series. Because if you don't have Tom Cruise, Ving Rames, or the theme song showing up in like limp biscuitized style, oh, um, no. there's there's nothing, not a single thing in this movie would identify it as Mission Impossible. I mean, they do the they do the your mission should you choose to accept it, but like. Honestly, yep. there is nothing about this movie that makes it feel unique or or like its own thing. It, it is a fascinating look at a franchise that is struggling to find an identity.
2: And and then and then not for the last time in his career, JJ J. Abrams is called in to breathe new life and resuscitate and give direction <laughs> to a franchise.
1: And uh this that was his first movie, yep. Mission Impossible 3, his feature debut. Yep. Um I I was so excited for uh, that movie, and again, what an insane length of time! Two thousand for Mission Impossible Two, Mission Impossible Three is released in two thousand six. Mm-hmm. Six years! Yeah, that's like, it, it's honestly not. A, Mission Impossible 3 did not do great at the box office compared to the other two and compared to a lot of other summer movies, and I think it was a combination of a couple things. One, that it had been six years since Mission Impossible 2, so no one is really begging for this movie. And two, this was right at the time where Tom Cruise was like the the punchline of every media outlet. Mm -hmm. The Scientology stuff, his marriage to Katie Holmes, his kind of like he'd kind of been it, they'd spun him as like he was he's kind of crazy and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So all these things are working against him and it's such a shame cuz I think Mission Impossible 3 is fantastic.
2: I I think it's great. I have uh my esteem for it has raised every time that I've watched it and I even when I rewatch it this time I was like why don't I hold this in higher regard? And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say right out that Abrams, I, I, it's very difficult. Abrams is very, very good at making the films that he makes. He is a great filmmaker. He, he is. I will never take that away from him. But he starts off at such a high point that I wonder if it has damaged his reputation in a sense or expectations for him. Because we always expect a trajectory. With a director that you're mm. going to start and you're going to build and you got somewhere to go. I think he yeah. comes in at it so strong and so high that when he's sort of plateaued at a very good place, people sort of shrug it off because it's like, right. Yeah, but he's I love not, that he so he, he plateaus, much plateaus.
1: His plateau is the highest grossing film. Right. <laughs> of all time. No, but 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 like
2: right. But like his plateau is higher than some people will ever build up to. Yet right. he doesn't get the respect he deserves because he started off at such a high point that, like, the, like the, I, I honestly think it, it's an expectation thing. But I think it's know. easy, it's easy to knock him because,
1: like you said, he Mission Impossible three is where Mission Impossible two is like meandering, dull, not a single compelling or exciting action sequence. Mission Impossible three, Abrams is. Fully confident and fully capable as an action director, and right from the get-go, that opening see- scene uh-huh. is, like, amazing. Like, I, I, you are just immediately hooked in, and, and my wife, Sarah, and I were watching, you know, <laughs> the day after we watched Mission Impossible 2, and we just looked at each other, and it's like, it's amazing how quickly this movie grabs you especially compared to the second movie where it's like John Woo can throw all the flashing slow motion explosions on the screen that he wants and can't generate an iota of excitement and Mission Impossible 3 is just like boom performances incredible just like Abrams knows exactly what to film he is so focused on these two guys and uh it is it is so fantastic, and another thing I always forget about Philip Seymour Hoffman. What a fantastic villain! What inspired yep. casting?
2: Yes, and uh, you know you you talk about the opening, but I will always go back to that Vatican scene because I yes. like, th- this is the one that is really tight. And what's really fascinating about it to me is that this is where Abrams hooks up with uh, Kurtzman and Orsi, who wrote. Star Trek 09 and what is fascinating truly to me about this is that uh, (laughs) uh, Orsi is a um, he's a conspiracy guy okay he's a he's a truther and stuff like that and that works its way into this but what makes me compliment that is that it's not just interesting bad guy trying to kill everyone it's somebody within your own government bureaucracy organization who's encouraging it because they consider these things inevitable so why not use it to create a war that you want to win which is an obvious commentary on iraq which is an ob- right. like and it winds up i think that's the thing is the motivations wind up elevating this to that sort of level of wow you know like it, it seems it's just a fun Oliver Stony way of coming at something yeah you know
1: and and that's kind of it, Mission Impossible 3 did some things really great and I think that's one of them it, it gives us a twisty turny plot where the villains motivations are kind of strange and like you don't know who to trust and so they bring that back but also I, they they really emphasize the team element which is what mission impossible mm-hmm. was all about it's everyone plays a part the first two were kind of tom cruise vehicles the first one had a little bit of the the team stuff with langley but it's mostly tom cruise just being like i'm awesome and i think with this third movie abram's helped cruise realize that it's about the team it's a, it, the mm-hmm. fun is seeing this plan carried out and played to perfection and the Vatican scene is the I mean that's the best example of it as you see that happen um, but it is it, it is fun it, it, it kind of brings it back to that like the whole espionage thing that makes Mission Impossible unique and then you I mean you have all the great action you have all the fun stuff it, it finds a great way of combining the sensibilities of like what we want from an action movie with the shootouts and the explosions but it combines it with the unique angle of that espionage and that fun and seeing the team work together to accomplish a goal. And then, I mean, again, Philip Seymour Hoffman as a villain is just fantastic, Uh, but there's so many little things. There's so many little things I love about this movie. I love the, the reading of the lips. I love, uh, I, I, I really, really love mission impossible three, but also it humanizes Ethan hunt. And this is a really good example, especially in the early early 21st century of, how we were transitioning out of action movies like Mission Impossible Two, where it's like let's just see a guy beats people up, and you humanize him, you give him yeah, uh, uh, uh give him a wife. I mean, do we have any secret spies who are married, like who are domesticated? That right. never happens. That's such an interesting angle, and it works. It pays off so well at the end, but it also makes Ethan Hunt feel incredibly human which is something that was sorely lacking from mission impossible too but i remember taking notice of that in and when i first saw the movies thinking like that's such, that's so cool because you feel invested and you care about these characters as opposed to just like being engaged by oh the cool set pieces
2: yes yeah uh although cool set pieces are are there and uh you know i i mean then you go to ghost protocol right Right, like, right.
1: Uh, again, another. It was five years,
2: yeah,
0: When oh, they—that's yeah, ra- right. Oh.
1: After, after Mission Impossible three,
2: and I saw it at a legit IMAX theater uh, because in in front of it they showed the um, the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, the Dark Knight Rises uh, preview, and it, yes. which you could see in in IMAX back before they tweaked Bane's voice. And I remember right. getting into an argument with my cousin because he was one of the ones saying, I can't understand what he's saying. What's he saying? I'm like, what? I can I can understand perfectly what he's saying. Yeah. You know, rubber football, pu- purple monkey leather. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> what he said. Um,
1: yeah. I, uh, I, I did the same thing because this was – it was interesting. They did a limited release for Ghost Protocol where it was like you could only see it in IMAX theaters at first. Yep. And that was, I think – November and then in December they did a wide release all over but man I am so glad I saw Ghost Protocol in theaters because what an experience and it feels like you know I I loved the first Mission Impossible I loved the third one but the fourth one feels like the franchise that we know and love today what it is now everything was fully realized in this movie and it became what has made it really like they, they really latched on to realizing, like, oh, people want to see Tom Cruise be absolutely insane and do incredible things. And this was the first one where he really, like, climbing that building is, is absolutely
2: and I, nuts. And seeing it in a legit IMAX theater, not LIMAX, like a science center IMAX theater, like the big yeah. six-story screen and everything, that Burge buy sequence... Ugh. I mean people gasping like it, it was what you go to movies for it was that escapist yeah. gasping oh my gosh what's going on oh, he's gonna fall and that was that was I think the first time
1: I'd seen yeah. the Dark Knight in IMAX and I loved it and I but I think Ghost Protocol was one of the first times where I was like oh my gosh I wish every big movie could be like this like this is just what a wonderful realization of the format and then on top of that you know we just did you and i just did the the iron giant episode where we talked about brad bird and how amazing he is this is his live action debut and it's absolutely fantastic and he has such an incredible ability with action sequences crafting those and you've seen that in the incredibles and the iron giant but seeing it realized in live action and just the fun and sense of creativity that he brings to the action in this film—it's full of humor and yeah. just clever little moments. Um, that was yeah. really part of the experience. Uh, what made it so enjoyable for me is just getting to see Brad Bird shine like that.
2: And, and it's not Marvel humor; it's not like forced one-liners. It's the, the the script is really well written because the humor is all very organic. It's very you know very natural to it. If there's anything I knock. Uh, ghost Protocol 4 it's the fact that the Burge buy sequence is so thrilling is so amazing is so well done that you got you know like you can only go down from the, you know like and it's yes you know at, it is that and, is like, true you the fight in the parking garage and I gotta be honest every time I watch the fight in the parking garage I'm kind of like yeah okay let's let, yeah. Let, let's end it, I, like, you, it, I'm it, it spent
1: is, it is I I love the whole movie but I do get that like I I, I yeah that was a tough thing to have yeah. as your like second act climax Right to then be like boom that's our set piece and now we have to go into like kind of the generic like oh yeah. the bad guy's got the bomb we've got to save the world type deal yeah, and um,
2: and i and i also think that it's a little clumsily um the the whole part where uh um uh, uh, where Hawkeye, I, I can only think of him as Hawkeye, is uh, is sitting there talking about you know the, his backstory back when they were first wondering well are we going to hand off um, here like it, it, you know like it, it's it's just so tough coming out of that sequence it's so tough yeah. to go any like yeah. you know I, I just and so I don't it's not like I want to fault the movie for it but there's nothing else I can do it's just the nature of it but. I will watch that Birch to buy sequence a thousand times without ever getting tired of it because it is so incredibly well constructed. Like, it, you can yeah. hardly believe it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, um,. I had, I had such a great – and it, it made me so happy because I'd always been kind of campaigning for Mission Impossible, the movies, in the franchise. I thought they were great, you know, minus the second one. But they'd always been kind of middling. Like, you know, the reviews had never been overtly positive. Even Mission Impossible 3, I think, has like a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. So it always felt like I was like sitting in a corner saying like, guys, but these movies are actually really good. Like, why – I don't get – I, I – a lot of times I can look at a critical reaction and say, I understand, but Mission Impossible was one of those where I was like, I don't get the kind of lukewarm reaction to it. So to, see, to have Ghost Protocol come out to see it get great reviews and then to see its box office like to see that movie make more money than any of the previous films I mean I guess not adjusted for inflation because I think the first one is still probably the most popular but that was such a like I was so happy because it felt like they'd finally arrived it felt like the franchise is yeah. finally legitimate like it was like this competes with Bond it was always like oh Mission Impossible is no James Bond but for the first time people were like ah ghost protocol i don't know yeah. it, i mean quantum of solace was the last thing we'd seen from james bond so i think a lot of people are really ready to <laughs> jump on to, board to, to uh, find some other unstrained. franchise yes <laughs> yes yeah so um yeah. but I, I i adore ghost protocol it, it, it to me so much of it is brad burr just his unique sensibilities the humor the the fun of it and getting to to see his him take his kind of clever approach and apply it to a big blockbuster like this is an absolute delight. And then we carry on, we carry on the same team. Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation is the first movie in this franchise that really feels like a sequel in a way. It feels mm. really connected to its predecessor in a way that none of the other films have.
2: Yeah, I uh, I agree. And I, I think that for all of the praise that you can throw at Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation blew me away. And it blew me away oh, wow. again. I, I... Just can't get over how much of this film just works. Just absolutely works, and I'm never bored, and I'm always transfixed, and I think that Christopher McQuarrie is a magnificent director. I love everything about Rogue Nation, and it's one of those things where I struggle to think, like on a scale of five out of five, I like I I try to be reserved because people use it as a dig that I I you know oh well, you give everything five star, but honestly, I I think it's perfect. I I honestly struggle to think of any part of the film where I'm like ah oh, this drags oh I could cut this oh I could live without mm-hmm. it. I, I I like you drop me in at any point in this film I'll watch it all the way through to the end.
1: I you know all that really. You're kind of reflecting how I feel about Ghost Protocol. Rogue Nation is... The first time I saw it, I enjoyed it, but it didn't really... There was something about it that I felt a little like, I'm not as engaged, I'm not as uh, entertained. It felt a little by the numbers, but watching it again recently, I was like, this is great. This is really great. And I love... um, I think I miss the creative flair of brad bird i I do think Rogue Nation feels a little bit more by the numbers oh. than Ghost protocol but frankly I rogue nation to me feel it, it's just a reminder of what makes this franchise so great, which is like incredible- uh, unparalleled set pieces, incredible ensembles and I think Rebecca Ferguson is such a great addition. Yes yes to she this is. cast and uh the first time i saw the movie i was kind of like indifferent to her but every time i watch it i respect it and her more and more and i i'm ex- i'm so excited that she's coming
2: back the, the, for the, the next the, one the uh, i want to call it the vortex it's not the vortex but the underwater vault
0: right? yeah the
2: the core, uh whatever you call it whoa that sequence yeah. is amazing and the opera but, but that's the thing right Ghost protocol, what I knock it for is the burge to buy thing is so huge, and then you sort of like let down after that. And it's like and then you get to the end and you're like, okay, 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 okay. Like I would have preferred the ending of Ghost Protocol to be the guy kills himself right at the beginning, but the case is somewhere nuts to get to. And so like let's do a burge to buy type thing at the end, like get back to that point. Right. Um and with this, I think it it's so much more um cognizant of pacing that it it builds better. And it keeps building on top of itself more than having a big flash and then a little bit of unevenness or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I do agree with that. I think um, this Rogue Nation has a fantastic third act. Um, I wish I could take the third act of this movie, kind of similar to uh, The Force Awakens and Rogue One. I wish I could take the third act of Rogue One and put that at the end of force awakens. It's very similar with Rogue Nation and Ghost Protocol because I love Rogue Nation what I forget about because I think I think the Dubai sequence in Ghost Protocol is so fantastic and people are still like you know people are so blown away by it that you almost forget that Rogue Nation it does something very clever where it takes its big stunt quote unquote the airplane sequence and it puts it right at the beginning so you're mm-hmm. like that's amazing this is great but i thought that was going to be like they were making it such a big deal in the previews and everything i thought it was going to be more of a big deal as you said they do a better job of planting the sequences so it's not it, it it's a little bit more organic it's not a wow we have this amazing set piece in the middle and then everything else is a little bit more like a- after that, it's a little more like chill. With Rogue Nation, you have great opening with the plane. You have the awesome opera sequence that's fun and exciting. Oh yeah, and great. You have the middle of the film, which is the uh, like you said, the underwater sequence, which is just thrilling. And then you go right from that into an incredible car chase. Oh, and then that goes into a motorcycle chase yep. where Tom Cruise is literally riding this motorcycle, uh, driving it at you know absurd. Speeds and there's a great little moment where his knee scrapes the pavement, yep. where that is a genuine moment of like, ah, crap! I, <laughs> I yep. gotta be careful. Like these movies, you feel the the danger and the stunts like no other film, no other action
2: franchise. Yes, and at this point, I will go for the cheap joke because the way he gets that record in the beginning with the projector on it, um, is in fact. Uh, I, I have nothing to back this up except knowledge of the text. That's a Battlefield Earth reference. That's an L. Ron Is Hubbard really? reference. Because in the book Battlefield Earth, and I, don't, I, don't, I, I have willfully uh, erased the experience of watching Battlefield Earth from my brain. <laughs> I um, can blame you. But uh, the, in the book, the technology described to teach Johnny Goodboy Tyler, um, real name, uh, in... <laughs> In the book is they describe these things that look like records that they put on a player that project information up and interesting and when he does that every time he does it. I'm like, ah, there's your old Ron shout God out. There Earth. you go. That's there so you go, Tommy. Funny. Good job. Good job. Um, that is great. Yeah, but but it works. Because it, the thing is, you can see that as a real spycraft sequence of not just answering, like, you know, the pigeon poops at midnight or something like that. But it's a series of escalating <laughs> questions to verify who the person is Yes, to get in it's there. It's a fun music nerd scene, but it's also like, right.
1: yes, it, it serves the plot.
2: Yeah, very much so. And that that's why I, I just love it so much is you said you said it best, serves the plot. There's character development here, there's reveals here, there's action here, but everything is in service of the story and everything moves forward and there's not a single boring moment. I consider this so far the masterpiece of the series. This is That's amazing. I you know, I I wanted to say just the third act itself, I think is so brilliant, just
1: to have uh it's not like a big showdown. It's not a big fight. It's nothing huge. It's just this moment where they're all sitting around a table and you have this very clever yep. set piece of um, yes. Tom Cruise outsmarting your Ethan Hunt outsmarting the bad guy. Uh,
2: Solomon Lane, is that his name? Yeah, but but, but, the, but there you go. You put your finger on it. Outsmarting, right? It's the same reason that I respond well, for instance, to like Solo, right? Is I love a movie where it isn't just about beating the bad guy in submission. It's about outsmarting him it's about being quicker than the other guys in the room mentally and that I, th- this movie has it in spades and i just i you know how how could you have done that scene at the end better like it is yeah just a and it's not that's scene.
1: not easy to do in a big action movie to have your climax be like and three guys sit around a table and talk and it's intense yeah. or that because um, then after rage. that it, there's a great shootout scene but again nothing huge just a very Clever, like you know, it's him and and Rebecca Ferguson kind of like going out together and he's protecting her. And you right. know, it, it's they can't it's shoot really, him, it's, it's, it's just it's very them, yeah. simple but effective,
2: right? And but but and that rage, the bad guy when he gets caught, that rage he knows he can't get it at, at Ethan Hunt, but he's still firing, you know, like yeah. and just locked eyes on him. Just like I, I will say, this though, where did. Where did the bullets go?
0: Wouldn't they have come back and hit hey him? hey hey
2: hey hey? Bulletproof glass makes bullets dis uh, disappear. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great ending, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, you know, you're you're talking about, uh, you know, eh, you know, yes, you're right. Yeah, bullets, it's, it's nothing. He'd it, have killed himself. It's not enough to ruin the movie, right? But but that's the point. Is yes, he would have killed himself. He would have been right. dead. He, th- those bullets would have bounced around, and he would have at least seriously injured himself. Right, I um, you
1: know, I, I do like Rogue Nation. I give Ghost Protocol the edge just for I think the create the creative spark to me, and the sense of humor is what elevates Ghost Protocol over Rogue Nation. But I was I went into this re- this rewatch expecting my ranking to remain the same, and after watching Rogue Nation again, I'm kind of like. Oh, but uh, I, guess, I guess that's where we'll leave this first part of the episode is with our rankings of the series and then kind mm-hmm. of hopes for Fallout. So, John, how do you rank uh, the Mission Impossible series thus far?
2: Well, I think I've shown my hand that top to bottom I'm going to start with Rogue Nation. And I have usually had Ghost Protocol in number two, but I think I have sort of a tie developing with three because okay. I really, each time I rewatch three i like it more and more one is like then a close third fourth because like it would go one two two four or whatever um and of course mission impossible 2 yeah firmly at the bottom Firm- i don't think there's a single person who would put it higher and my than the bottom. my hope is that fallout does not in any way race to the bottom with mission impossible Two,
1: right i and judging from the early reactions and reviews which are comparing it to mad max fury road which is like uh thank you um i think i think my ranking will would go ghost protocol and then i it's a tough call i watching it again i i would have i would have immediately i think before watching i would have been like yeah four and then three but now it's like a toss-up between 5, 3, and 1. It's so hard to pick, which is like... That's kind of nuts. That speaks to this franchise in general, yep. that it, it is such... The films are so consistent that you could really kind of, like, come back and revisit them and say, actually, I like this one more, or I thought I liked this one less, but really, I think it's great. So I think at this point in time, I would say... Oh, this is this is gonna sound. Oh, it's so tough. I I would say four, five, three, one, two. Okay, and I can live with that. Uh, and that that is such a with four is is my top, but with like any one of those four, five, three, or one, they're so interchangeable. I love them all. Yeah, almost equally. I would say, and then of course two
2: I, I hate with all my being <laughs> and if you know anybody that likes too, anybody listening to this if you know somebody that likes mission impossible too i say this firmly please let me know i please. there's gotta be somebody out there besides john woo that likes mission impossible too schindler likes it doesn't he yeah but schindler yes schindler it. he doesn't it. count I, I mean other than schindler Okay, because okay. he's he's probably not listening. And if you are listening, Mike, you find me somebody else that likes Mission <laughs> Impossible too. <laughs> yeah, but I um
1: I'm so pumped for Fallout. Yeah. And again, it, kind of similar to Ghost Protocol, it makes me so happy that in an age where we are bombarded with Star Wars and Marvel, with Disney just throwing themselves at us all the time to get a Mission Impossible movie every couple years, to get a James Bond movie every few years, they're kind of stealing the thunder a little bit. As This is not to knock the cinematic universe, Marvel, or Star Wars, but, like, the producers, Paramount is smart. They, yep. they know people are tired of, like, the huge blockbuster, the big effects movies. They're giving us a grounded, crazy, action-packed stuff, like... Like real stunts, practical effects—like they are giving us the antithesis of these huge, big-budget movies—and I, 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 it makes this franchise so much more special and so much. And I'm so excited because I was really, really hoping for the best with this movie, and I feel like I'm, I'm getting just based on the reactions beyond what I could have hoped for. So I'm excited. And again, Rogue Nation, like I said, I, I, I feel like it, it just misses greatness for me and i wasn't that thrilled about Macquarie coming back but now i'm like seeing all the behind the scenes stuff i'm very very excited to see where this goes
2: yeah me too now available to own on videocassette
0: every day we rise
1: Welcome back to the show. John, we're back. We're back at it. And, yes. uh, you know, we, we cheated a little bit, as we said with this Missing Frames episode. Fallout is the movie we hadn't seen prior to, uh, to, to this moment. But now we've both yes. seen Fallout. John, give me your hot take. What do you think, non-spoiler, about Fallout?
2: I think that it was one of the best action movies I've ever seen in the movie theater. <laughs> and I think that my blood pressure spiked so many times that, I i mean, it, it was basically an adrenaline shot. Uh, and I shot out of that theater uh, like uh, Mia Wallace in Pulp Fiction. So <laughs> what was your hot take, Sean?
1: I mean, not anything that good or creative. I was just going to reference... Fury Road, which I think a couple reviews had already done, and I was like, well, let's not jump to any conclusions, people. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump to that conclusion and say this is probably the most energized I've felt coming out of a movie theater or an action movie, Re- No, really any movie um, since Fury Road, just that same yeah. sense of kind of unbridled glee at having witnessed something so spectacular in the realm of action. Um, I, I, I loved it. I I really really loved it and everything about it made me so happy. Um but did you so did you get a chance to see it in IMAX?
2: No, I don't have a real IMAX theater around me, so I I did uh about the same. I did a lateral move in my opinion and I watched it in Dolby. Okay. Uh, Great. Cinema at uh, at Disney Springs and I can tell you not only was it magnificent because the the picture quality is so clear and everything. But even in Dolby, which is, as so far as I'm concerned, like the premier format to see something in, you could tell when they shot with a real IMAX camera versus just a really good, like, even in Dolby, you could see a resolution difference between the two types of cameras, which was sort of mind blowing. Uh, I've never seen a disparity like that, where I. But of course, I, I don't know whether I was watching for it or not, but I, right, I, and I, I it. you
1: know, honestly, I. I think there were only two IMAX sequences in the movie overall, and I'll have Mm -hmm. to see it again, but the ones that that were most overt that I recall are the halo jump and then Mm -hmm. the whole finale with the helicopter was shot in IMAX as well. But regardless, I mean, it was seeing that in IMAX and and watching – well, I mean, I guess – I guess let's we'll, we'll just we'll go into spoilers. Sorry, right. sorry, everybody. It's spoiler you, time. You know,
2: yes, it's okay. I think we can go into mild spoilers. Yes, we can. Like you know, and, and no, the we, thing is, well, I would also argue that a movie like this, the experience is the experience. This is this is I consider this a somewhat spoiler proof type of movie. There are a couple of intricacies that are really pleasing to find out along the way, but. If it were so reliant on not knowing, then it wouldn't hold up to future viewings. And And this is a good point. You know,
1: it's what I mean, honestly, the whole thing about this franchise, as we discovered going through rewatching all these movies is about halfway through. They realized that their thing was just Tom Cruise, like let Tom Cruise loose, uh, you know, damn the insurance claims, let him go nuts (laughs) and do what he wants to do. And uh, from that point on, it's they've they've really taken that as their bread and butter. And that's what's made this unique. So, like you're saying, this movie, the joy of it, uh, one of the main joys of it is watching Tom Cruise and seeing him do these things. And as I, I was worried about spoiling, you know, the, the climax of the film is this amazing helicopter sequence in which Tom Cruise not only... Nearly dies a few times, yeah. uh, climbs all over a helicopter, plummet. There was one point where I, I was not expecting where he is mm. climbing up the rope and then he plummets. And watching yes. that in IMAX completely took my breath away because you just feel the uh, the scope of that. Watching yes. him in that single shot just pl- plummet to the ground, and you're like, oh, he's dead. He just died.
2: This is it. Uh, the uh, the I, I can tell you that in in Dolby as well, like it was just. I, I, And I think that was one of those pleasant moments where I think Macquarie's true strength um, as a director, writer, what have you, is there was never any pressure in this. And I think Rogue Nation excelled for this reason as well. But I think even more so, uh, he takes it to another level here where he, he's a magician who knows the audience, knows the trick he's about to pull. So he finds a new twist on the trick to catch you by surprise. Right, you know that the mask switches are going to happen. So he screws with you, and it's the it's it's classic sleight of hand where he's setting it up, and you fall into the rhythm where you say, "Yeah, okay, I know what's da- oh, wait oh no, that's different." <laughs> it you was, know, like it you was caught great. me.
1: I, I knew, I knew I was in for a treat right from the get go because the opening scene that that bait and switch at the front. I did mm-hmm. not see coming at all. And I knew this whole movie Fallout has a much grimmer tone, especially than the last couple cuz the first I, I you know the first one is pretty is intense but not very grim. Well, you know, I don't even want to say that cuz you know his whole team gets murdered at the very beginning. So there's been a kind of grim intensity that these movies have lacked in the past couple. You know, I uh, I love Ghost Protocol, but it's very fun. Uh Rogue Nation I think is a little bit more somber but still kind of like oh it's fun we're running around we're globetrotting all this stuff this one feels very intense from the get-go it feels like there's a stronger sense of stakes so when they lose the plutonium and then they immediately cut to like oh these cities have all been blown up i believed it completely and i was like this is a depressing way to open a movie but man they're really going for it and then when they pull the the moment where it's like ha we got you i was like oh my god that was just the perfect encapsulation of this franchise without needing to go for broke with the insane action. Really reminiscent of the first movie.
2: I see that one. I kind of suspected that that was happening, but I didn't expect the mask switch in that one. And that was <laughs> like, I, I really think, I really think this is one of those ones where like he knows certain ones. Some people are going to figure out certain ones. Other people are going to figure out. And so he has fun with it. And Benji finally
1: gets to wear his mask. After all these years,
2: he gets his masks Uh, twice. What I love, what I really love as well, is that we are used to uh, certain type of stakes with these movies. And what I really enjoy uh, about them, Ghost Protocol, I think... Okay, let's go from three forward. With three, you have just basically nutso arms dealer and conspiracy theorist, you know, we're going to start a war in the Middle East and blah, 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 blah. Ghost Protocol gets to a more sort of overblown James Bondish. the missiles are on the way and it's going to cause everybody to die. Rogue Nation gets back to a more subdued, uh, you know, I run a big terrorist organization and we're just going to, you know, blow you up, we're going to kill you all and we're going to take over and we're going to, you know... Get away. It's a little bit more like
1: government conspiracy, like we are the, the cure for what ails this country, or whatever you want to call
2: it. This one, I thought what was beautiful, especially about the ending, about the plan that they have, is that it's not blowing up Paris or D.C. It's something that is so diabolically just purely evil it's not a big showy explosion that they're going for they're literally going for poisoning the water supply of a third of the earth's population and you're not used to that in a movie and you think for a second and you think wow that would really work wouldn't it you know like it's that horrible thing where you realize that what the bad guys are going for would actually work in this horrible way and you think about it for a second and it's absolutely horrifying and for me that just sells me so much on the movie yeah. and gets me in there
1: well it's more fun because it's it, it mission impossible has done an amazing job uh throughout the years just kind of grounding its stakes in reality in a way that you know a lot of that is driven by tom cruise's stunts but like you said even ghost protocol with the the big like oh the baddie who wants to shoot missile it it doesn't feel as insane to me. It feels very like we've gotta we've gotta take this guy out. Someone's trying to make a deal with somebody and we've gotta figure out how to infiltrate that and stop it. Uh and it's always very the team is always a big part of it. And I love mm-hmm. that. And I love the way that starting with number three especially, it became integral to the plots of like each team member gets their thing to do. And with Yes. This one, um I think, you know, one of the things I did miss, but not enough to knock it at all uh is is the team has a lot of interactions they're all working together and it's great and the the chemistry is there and it's wonderful but i did kind of miss there wasn't a big set piece where all of them were involved in terms of like Oh,
2: I disagree. So which
1: one would you say?
2: The the last one. Everybody had something to do. Well, that's
1: yes, that's true. I'm yeah. I'm thinking more of like the big stunt where it's like they have to infiltrate something or the heist vibe of like how are we going to do this? Okay, Benji's got to do this. He's got to sneak into this uh this facility right. and I will go in and reprogram this thing. There wasn't like the big impossible set piece like him climbing the building or things like that. Um It's replaced by visceral action, which is not a complaint. I I think, if anything, it is uh, to this film's benefit because the fourth and fifth one, like I said, the fifth one kind of became by the numbers for me. And part of the problem, I think, is the need to have that big set piece where it's like, okay, I've got to go underwater and do this thing. So Fallout kind of trades that for just like the most insane, awesome action sequences.
2: But I, but I would argue that yes, the, the the it there's more of a focus on the action sequences. I I think that there's a benefit there. I think that there's a sense. I think the reason why the, the Mission Impossible movies keep working is because they keep figuring out we can't do just the same thing, right? And it, you know, going all the way back to the first one, that break into the vault still works so well. It's still an incredibly tense uh, moment, and, and and you're right, like it, it's you know classic sort of got to break in got to do these sorts of things but i thought it was such a fantastic uh spin on it to make it that they had to retrieve their own worst enemy that was what they had to infiltrate and do mm. and they find out that their goal that's true that to is save the worst person on <laughs> right. the, the you know like that and the way that Cruz improvises, but it's not really improvisation, because then you find out that he planned it, and then everybody heads up. like it, I I don't know. I I thought that there was so much just deft maneuvering in terms of meeting and then quietly subverting your expectations. Mm. It's faithful to what you're expecting, and then it quietly just sort of like moves the card to the bottom of the deck and then you go oh i know how you got me but boy that was really good like that (laughs) that's my thing
1: yeah and i i was wondering in terms of you know McCorry, uh matt rushing one of the members of the nerd party uh who does aggressive negotiations Alpost, great guy he shared a podcast in our nerd party chat Um, Empire did an interview with Christopher McQuarrie really extensive amazing interview I haven't even listened to it yet but one of the things I read that I thought was really fascinating is McQuarrie talking about how he felt he learned a lot from Rogue Nation that he didn't really feel he had a handle on his vision which is something I really did feel from Rogue Nation it didn't feel necessarily like uh it was necessarily the stamp of any one individual as much as it was just a hey it's mission impossible here's a bunch of things that you like about mission impossible and he took that to he he felt that himself and he recognized that himself and was really intent on making sure fallout uh succeeded in ways he felt rogue nation didn't and i'm wondering was there anything specifically about fallout you thought was unquestionably an improvement or are there are things you noticed that uh, you could tell McQuarrie really put his uh, his efforts into improving certain things
2: what happened in the sewers and then turned into the rooftop chase uh, I thought was was magnificent you can talk about the the end of the movie you know just all day every day you know that there's just so much to go into with that right and um, but I think probably the first moment strangely enough that took my breath away that really just um I I mean I was with it from the get-go I was in it but when Cruz is talking with the white widow and then it goes to it cuts out all the other sound and you just hear the music playing and you see Cruz as the member of the team going in and then having to shoot the police officer and then it suddenly flips back and you realize you've just been in Cruz's head yeah that was I think Just so beautifully done because it can. I was in it and I was believing it and I was going with it, and it so successfully communicated the horror he saw in front of him. Mm. And then to have it go the way that it went, I just thought was so. It gave you, I think, what Fallout does, and I think that scene is an example of, is it gives you everything it 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 gives you how you expected it to happen and then the way it needs to happen and you're happy because you got both of them but neither one canceled the other out and i know that's a really weird and rambly way to say it but you get what i'm going for right <laughs>
1: eh. yeah sure john sure yeah yeah whatever yeah. keeps me alive <laughs> please help <laughs> send help um i no, i you know i think one of the biggest things i noticed about fallout that was a major improvement over rogue nation is the way the plot feels more organically involved with the action in a Mm. lot of ways. Um, it just flows better and it has that same kind of relentless rush, like the relentless forward movement that, uh, that you did see in Fury Road where that was, I think, I don't think anything will ever match Fury Road's just insane. Like just the onslaught of like, it's a constant chase, but, uh, this comes close and that's that was extremely impressive the way he managed to balance kind of this relentless action but find the moments you have great character moments you have the mm-hmm. slow moments it's just the rhythm of it is so perfect and it feels like you're just kind of along for the ride it's very it's jolting and it's insane but it's a very smooth ride and I think that impressed me a lot just kind of seeing the way he if Rogue Nation, as he stated, was kind of an homage to everything that had come before, Fallout feels so much like his own thing, but really it feels like he's embraced his kind of... W- what makes him great as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, and really found his confidence in a way. Um, the action in this film feels very like visceral in a way that I don't think Rogue Nation necessarily at times did. Uh, I I I mean... We talk about the amazing stunts that Tom Cruise did, but early on there's a fight sequence in the bathroom that is mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. And one of my favorite things that – uh, I I can't remember what video series this is, but it's a really great video series that just analyzes certain film styles. And they've done one on Edgar Wright, but they did one specifically about Jackie Chan and his uh, action style and how – some of the best action sequences work because they are long, unbroken takes of just, like, the people fighting each other. When you have lots of cuts in it, it disguises the fact that maybe the actor isn't doing the moves. It kind of breaks up the action. And whether you recognize it or not, you realize that the illusion kind of takes away from the, the feel of the fight and the real brutalness of it. And that fight scene has some really great, unbroken shots of henry cavill going to town there's a great overhead shot of them in the bathroom stall where they're all fighting each other and it it was it occurred to me how much of a difference that makes when you can see the mm-hmm. actor doing it where you can see them going for it but also when you have a director and an editor smart enough to let those moments play out like that
2: yeah oh yeah absolutely and of course everybody talks uh and will talk till the end of time about uh henry cavill uh cocking his arms uh, before he <laughs> goes in just for the fight. one of the
1: best things on the planet. And,
2: this is, and I know how weird this are is going to sound. Are people down,
1: talking about that in a negative way? Because if they are, they no. need to stop. They better No. no okay, no. good. Only, if positive, if I, only positive. Any person who thinks that's a bad thing can, can write me. Uh, but you, won't you know, back.
2: You know what I loved about that fight? I mean, besides everything else. But I love the fact that there's even enough attention that um, Henry Cavill has a little sweat stain on his back. Yeah, And I know that that sounds weird, but at the same time, it actually helps sell it. Because how many times do you watch Because I I think as a a one-to-one, right, is you have the bathroom fight in True Lies, which is similarly a brightly lit white bathroom, a lot of, you know, throwing and going around and blah, 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 blah. But it was always sort of like a silly set piece sort of thing. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, just a silly thing. This is like a way better, more serious version of that. And even though everything that happens in it is just ridiculously over the top, it's done in such a way. And to speak to your point, those unbroken takes make you want to believe that it's actually happening. Mm. Because I think the cuts, there's such a trick to that rhythm, whereas this feels like it's just something that's happening. Right. And I I remember cringing like watching it in the theater. I was like, oh, 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 you yeah. know? And I can't tell you the last time I was in a movie where I was like, ah, like that stressed about a fight going on on screen. And I, like, I want to know, I, I want to behind the scenes, I want to interview the uh, the stunt coordinator, the fight choreographer and everything like that. I want to know how long it took them to to orchestrate that and who was who was the big, bright, shining star. I'm sure it was Tom Cruise again. But, like, <laughs> You know, and and the fact that they had a guy that they were fighting that wasn't just your token. Okay, he gets in five good shots, and then somebody takes him out. Right. Like he was throwing down with yes. them. Yeah, that's really cool. Really
1: holding off. Uh, yeah, both of them. Which is yeah. like, I mean, it was that was just fun, and it was it was it was to me an announcement so quickly after that halo jump sequence that it's like the thrills of this movie are not going to be reserved to just like Tom Cruise is crazy but you're going to have some real great grounded moments which is sometimes it's hard to come by those in big action movies nowadays it feels like you have such crazy stakes and something needs to explode or someone needs to like do something ridiculous to have the balance of an amazing stunt like the Halo jump, and then follow it up with something equally as exciting in a completely different way. Uh, it it just—it's so effective.
2: The only thing that I wonder about is, it could if there was anything I could give to Sky to uh, to—I almost said Skyfall. I don't know why, because um, <laughs> this
1: feels like Skyfall in a way. Or it yeah. does. I think you said it. It, it is the version of Spectre. That that uh, that Spectre wanted wanted. to be. It's it's the movie Spectre wanted to be. But
2: but the one of the things I wonder about this is does it suffer from Star Trek VI syndrome? Which is Star Trek VI is an incredibly well constructed film. It's amazing. You can make the argument that it's better than Star Trek II. Different topic for a different time. But the the whole thing is structured really well. It is a true whodunit. It's what's going on, who's the traitor. But the whole time you're watching it, you're saying, well, it's got to be the new the new person. Mm. Oh, it's Kim Cattrall. Yeah. The person you know, we've never duh. seen before in any other movie. <laughs> and the movie never commits to it, but is is sort of going along like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we know. We all know. Yes. We all know. Yeah. And that's the only thing is if they had had uh, Brant in there. Yeah. Instead of Cavill. You miss him. Yeah.
1: I, You know, I missed Jeremy Renner. I really I, did.
2: It's not so much that I missed Renner, which I did. I, I think Renner is you know great fun uh, in in his Mission Impossible appearances, but it would have made me doubt a little bit whether he was the traitor because there was no doubt in my mind going from the beginning. Uh, it's Cavill, well, you know? and early then he, and, 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 and then he hands over the undamaged phone, and I was like, okay, yes. But that's that again speaks to Macquarie's skill is he doesn't put on any pretense of trying to trick you with anything or trying to make you, he doesn't try to sell you the idea that that uh, that Ethan Hunt is really the bad guy. You just didn't see it coming. Right. He knows we're not going to go for it.
1: Right. So he, I mean, that's what I was going to say, is he establishes pretty early on, you know, you're kind of suspicious of Henry Cavill, and then really early you have that phone moment where you're like, oh, of course. And it's, it, like you said, it's it speaks to McQuarrie that he's basically like, no, 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 you know, I I know I'm a, I know you guys have called this, so we're not even going to pretend, which I respected a lot. Uh, it was kind of like, and we'd seen Cavill in all the trailers with his giant machine gun trying to kill Tom Cruise. So it's like, you know, we're movie audiences are smart, but also we get movies spoiled for us all the time now by trailers, yeah. like literally all the time. So it was one of those nice little moments where. I give him credit for just saying, ah, whatever. This is not one of the moments we're gonna try to pull a fast one on the audience with.
2: And again, it speaks to the rewatchability of it and how, you know, well constructed it is. If you if a movie can't survive its second viewing with the spoilers stripped away, then it's no. I, I hate the only thing I hate about spoilers is that it takes away that first moment that first experience with it where you can be surprised.
1: Yeah, the genuine reaction.
2: So I get that. But a truly excellent film survives that. And so it is still an excellent film regardless. And that is where I think the the Cavill thing falls in is the fact that he instead has you know, he has fun with it. He doesn't break any of the rules of it. But I think it also makes the entire uh, switcheroo that happens, you know, in in the uh, in the sewers. I think that makes it even better because there's nothing better to me than when my heroes are smarter than the bad guys. Yeah. And in that moment, I was going along and I was like, okay, oh well, all right, well, we're going to go with this. Oh, yeah. All right. They're accusing Hunt of doing it. Ha ha. They outsmarted him. Yes. And then they layer on, oh no, he outsmarted them. Yeah, like which it is just great. keeps building. That, fe-
1: that felt like it was, it was borderline parody, but it was executed so perfectly. Because that's what Mission Impossible, like we said, it's about the big stunts, which are great and amazing. It's about like seeing Tom Cruise put himself in danger. But Mission Impossible, the the plot has always been about, about like, oh, we pulled a fast one on you. You thought it was this, but it's really this. So to have Two like that those moments back to back where it was like we got you and he goes oh really i think i got you it was like this is like classic mission impossible and i love this this is so much fun
2: and i've got to give them credit for being willing to not just take out a cool character but also to give him a heck of a uh great send-off yeah, um, it was it was like, so sad, and it was
1: it was one of those moments where I was like, "Oh, yeah, I guess they would kill off Alec Baldwin. Maybe he's he's got a little bit too high of a paycheck, or whatever." Cynical side of me, but I was glad he got to play a part. And also, one of the things again that impressed me, just to to bring this into it as well, because this is a good connection. But like, I was so impressed with the way McQuarrie managed to organically fit in a very emotional uh, yes. connection. And part of that is Alec Baldwin at the start saying what makes you special isn't that you are going to save the day. I know you're going to save the day, but more importantly, I know you're going you care about the people and that's yep. why I trust you. And that feels paid off in that scene where Alec Baldwin comes in and you think like oh no, Henry Cavill's got the uh, the upper hand and then uh you find out it was all part of it. And it it, it was such a beautiful moment that it made his death ring all the more True. But then at the end, it just, it pays off so well and so uh, beautifully. And it's this emotional undercurrent that you don't really, you see it in different ways in action movies, but to have such a pure, sincere, like, uh, we love Ethan Hunt because he cares about people. Like, that's a... That's never explicitly stated in, like, a James Bond movie or, right. like, a lot of action movies don't explicitly say, like, the hero, the super spy, uh, he, what makes him special is that he he cares about people. It, it was such a refreshing uh, uh, situation. Like, it was just a, a refreshing take on the character.
2: Completely agree. Uh, it's, it, it like, anybody can be the, the big action star sort of thing, but... I, I love everything you just said. I, I completely agree with it. Like, so, it, it, it's so true.
1: So as far as um beyond just, you know, the plot and all the cool twists and stuff that we loved, what were your, like, favorite big moments uh, in terms of, like, the action scenes that stood out? Or maybe, like, pick an action scene. There are so many amazing stunts yeah. in this movie. Uh, it, it's It's absolutely insane. I don't know how they're going to top themselves. But, like, if you want to pick, like... Great action moment and maybe more grounded moment like we were talking about, like between him and Alec Baldwin.
2: Wow. Uh I I think probably my favorite uh of the the action moments. I mean, I, I have to go to the fight on the cliff is so insane. It's so incredibly insane. I love though retrieving Lane. Because it's it seems almost like the entire scene is an homage to the Joker, Batman scene in the Dark Knight. I, I got
1: that vibe too. Yeah,
2: like even the music is very similar. Um, so I I don't know if that was done as homage or something like that, but that, like there there were definitely hints there. But that fight with Cavill, you know, after the helicopters have crashed and they're <laughs> they're just going at it on the cliff, <laughs> I was in my seat just like with my hands on the side of my head, like. Why? <laughs> Why won't you let me relax? Why can't I kill you? <laughs> um, but you know what I think was uh, I, I mean, obviously, the Alec Baldwin moment is great. There are a lot of great small moments. I think the moment where they're talking in the trees, you know, and she's saying, just walk away, yeah. like that's a great moment. But you know what, moment really, um, I think, really just drove home even Alec Baldwin's point about you care about the people, you care about the individual is with his wife Mm. when he sees her and she has this moment. She says, Ethan, what are you doing here? Are you working? You know, like, oh, no. It's really bad that I see you right now. But not just that, but just the fact that there is this goodbye moment between them where you can tell, like, you're so used to movies that are all about the good guy wins, and then he sweeps the woman up, and they're gonna go off, and they're gonna have this great thing. But he does, in fact, care so much just about her happiness and her as a person mm. that all he cares about is that she's happy now. I, I she doesn't have to go with him.
1: I got genuinely choked up, and uh, and yeah. I went, and I'm glad you you brought this up because something I wanted to bring up, uh, friend of the show, reoccurring co-host brad gullickson wonderful human being um he wrote a really interesting article on film school rejects i encourage everyone to check it out if you haven't already just to see what you think it's uh, called the ending of mission impossible fallout explained and something he called out as one of the only weaknesses of this movie is that ending how it lets ethan off the hook a little bit so that he can be with ilsa and his wife julia is just like oh everything's fine i'm happy how do you feel about that do you think that's uh was it too sappy for you or
2: no do you think it works i think it works perfectly fine i agree so screw you brad no, uh, I'm, no. I'm, i mean i i think i think it works perfectly fine because of the fact like we, we, protecting his wife has been this thing but even at the end of ghost protocol like there's this whole acknowledgement i can't be with her if i'm going to be doing this i can't be with her anymore and in terms of letting him off if anything, it frees up the series because that it doesn't need to be his motivation anymore. Mm-hmm. He can be – his character actually grows in that moment. It's no longer about, I'm doing this, and because I love her, like, it's – now it is – he's freed from that. They've actually advanced his character, and he hasn't even been with her for how many years now? Yeah. What – I well, mean, you know, they don't really have a relationship anymore. You I, know? I get what Brad's I think, Brad, um, the point he's
1: making that I do I understand where he's coming from is it's a little too clean cut to introduce a character like Ilsa, a ma- you know, Rebecca Ferguson. What a bamf. She's awesome in this movie. I'm so glad she's back. And I'm so glad that she it looks like she'll be coming back for more. Um the fact that Ilsa is just such a wonderful character. There's such a clear attraction between the two of them. That's you know, platonic, romantic, you whatever you want to call it. There's a genuine love they have and affection they have for each other. And I think what Brad was saying was it was a little too convenient that in this movie, it's kind of like oh, but he's still technically married. And then the movie Julia comes in and says no, everything's fine. Do whatever you want. I get that. At the same time, I think it's really wonderful that instead of having like her show up and they kill her or having Mm -hmm. never talking about her again, as so many James Bond movies do Um, they acknowledge it and they have a really beautiful moment where she is like this thing that's tortured you, this, this horrible feeling that everything you've, you've ruined my life and like you've, you've made everything about my life worse that like I, you somehow made things bad for me. Do not feel that anymore because i'm so happy and i want to thank you that was such a the the beauty of that moment and the emotion of it i mean it genuinely was moving i i was i was i never thought i'd see i i've loved the mission impossible movies uh i never thought i'd see one that affected me emotionally like that and Mm -hmm. it was a really beautiful moment and that to me outweighs whatever kind of silliness of like now you can go be with whoever you want and don't feel bad about it um but I love that. That was that was one of my favorite moments. I think if I had to pick one of the emotional or the more grounded scenes uh, between characters, that's definitely one of my highlights. Uh, I totally agree about the scene with him and Ilsa. Um, I also love the moment where there's the amazing sequence where it's just him on a motorcycle. Again, this is Tom yeah. Cruise riding around against traffic, no helmet. It's insane. I loved him, jump the, the little moment where he jumps over the bush Goes through the grate, and his buddies have picked him up, and they have that acknowledging moment where they're like, "We got you, bud." It's great. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah, that. Yeah. But uh, I, I, adored everything about this movie. I think the highlight for me, action wise, is just the entire climax. The helicopter. The yeah. second he climbs up that rope on that helicopter, I was like, edge of my seat, screaming at the screen, just going nuts. I thought that was absolute perfect filmmaking it is it is such a delight um
2: but the the only thing because i know that this has been a love fest so just to give it equal time the only thing that i would subtract from it the score is fine the score is fine for this film and it works for this film uh there were a couple of moments where it felt a little derivative of zimmer and I don't know if that's just because there's no way to avoid that with these. Like, <laughs> he sort of days. helped set the template with Nolan. Right. So there are certain certain things, and I can't... I'm not faulting him, because the composer did a really good job. Like, I, I was initially a little bit critical of the score, but I've since listened to it a couple of times, and he does some really magnificent work, especially when he works in Schifrin's theme. Mm-hmm. But... Like if there's anything that I would you know, I, and it's the tiniest little ding mark on it is like eh, a couple of those cues sound a little bit too much like Zimmer, okay. but that's that's not you know it's not right. it's not like it's, I'm it, that's, like walking that's out really like, that's that. that's you know?
1: really digging at that point. yeah um. oh
2: you sound like one of the best composers working right now <laughs> ha 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 I got you you know
1: yeah I um like I said I think the the only thing I would hold against it is I did kind of miss. That, like, what? We've got to infiltrate what now? And how are we going to do that? There wasn't really a, um y- you know, you mentioned the Solomon Lane scene where they have to break him out, which was a little bit like that, but I kind of missed the whole, like, oh, there's something Ethan has to do. He has to dive off this thing and hold his breath for two minutes, or he has to climb a building. The- I kind of missed that. But it's so, that's such a, again, such a minor complaint because 4 and 5, you know, 4 had the centerpiece of the the building in Dubai, 5 had the centerpiece of the underwater sequence. It was getting a little, I loved the moment in Rogue Nation, but it was feeling a little bit like, oh, each one of these, I guess, has to have, have this moment. So I can't really knock Fallout for not having that because it again it it more than makes up for it an amazing action it still feels like mission impossible the team is involved I love seeing them work together so yeah I that that's really the only thing I would nitpick honestly Um, yeah everything about this it it is it is an absolute delight I I I don't think I I think this is easily the movie of the summer this one's the award for best summer movie um, definitely going to end up in my top ten list. I mean, I, I, yeah, we've got we've got a few months left in the year, so you know, take that with a grain of salt. But I, uh, this this was like maybe if it doesn't end up in my top five or whatever of the year, it's I'd put it on a list of the great action movies of this decade so far. Yeah, very I, high up there.
2: I don't get out to the movies half as much as I would like to, and even less than I used to, but. I, You know, I can say unequivocally that this film is an example of, you know, the thing that keeps a lot of people away from the movies is time and money. And if I can walk out of a theater and feel like that was worth every bit of time and every red cent I spent, that is a hugely successful film. <laughs> and then if I can then go back and intellectually... Start going at it like we have and like break it down and be like, no, no, no. It wasn't just the moment. That's yeah. just an incredible film. Yeah, I mean, I thought about this film for days after I watched it. Yeah. It was just replaying things in my brain thinking, did I really see that? Did that actually <laughs> happen? And just being floored every time I even thought about it. I, I mean, I, the
1: biggest question I think a lot of people have is where do you even go? It's kind of like no- the situation right. Nolan found himself in when he made The Dark Knight. Um, where do you go from here? You've raised the bar so high. What do you do? So my question to you is, what are you hoping for from a sequel? And and do you want McQuarrie to return? If he doesn't return, do you have any ideas on who you might want to come back in or who newcomers to the series?
2: No idea. No idea. Honestly, like I I, I have no idea where they could possibly go, how they could possibly raise the stakes, how they could possibly make something. Like there's and I I hope for his sake, if Macquarie were to come back, it's cause he's got just like a burning idea where he's like, I had two movies and there's one thing I had to do that right. I didn't do. I want that to be a motivation for him. But this is one of those things where if I were if I were he, him I would I would walk away yeah like I I agree yeah I can't do anything else
1: and it's I mean one of the appeals of this franchise has been the revolving door of directors which has been great it was part of why I was kind of bummed about like "Ah, I don't want McQuarrie to come back I you know can eat those words now I'm I'm delighted that he did um let me pitch to you my idea for where this franchise could go because here's the thing Tom Cruise is Mission Impossible and the same way I feel like Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford you can't I don't think you should. It's not not a situation where you can just say like, oh, it's James Bond. He switches out. But that was established early on within the first decade of that franchise that was happening. This has been around for 20 years, six movies. It's all been Tom Cruise. And nobody has done what Tom Cruise has done. Nobody of that star caliber is doing these kinds of stunts so devoted to this kind of crowd-pleasing action. I feel like when Tom Cruise is done, this franchise should be done too. And part of me wonders if maybe, I think maybe he's got one or two left in him. um, Why not have this be what James Bond can't and have it be a definitive ending for Ethan Hunt and have him Mm -hmm. do one or two more, but then have the last one. I mean, he's 56 now. He doesn't look it in the slightest, but like at some point he's going to have to call it quits. And maybe just having... A big finale for Ethan and just having it be a raucous, epic, wonderful send off for that character and an amazing send off for an incredible actor, Tom Cruise. And just, you know, he paved the way for this franchise. He was the one who kind of got it kickstarted. He's been the face of it and he's taken it to a whole new level. I would love to see that since I don't think I'll ever see that with James Bond. I would love to see kind of a definitive ending for like a super spy franchise. What do you think of that?
2: I think that's a great idea. I I would say not even one or two. Have have one more and if you want even have the syndicate still be at the center but have I mean, you know, I think the only way you can follow up this film is to go in the opposite direction and have something that's so low key. Mm-hmm. Don't try to match this. Go in a different direction, have it be Bring back, if you want, one last break in, but the big vault scene is the key scene at the end. Right. And end it there, and he doesn't make it. You know, have him have to sacrifice at the end, and that's the end. That's That's it. You know, ride off into the sunset with that. I honestly think, I think you're right. He's got, I mean, there's only so much time, and I don't honestly want to see a Mission Impossible movie without Tom Cruise. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, just it, it just is, like you said, I don't want to see an Indiana Jones movie without Harrison Ford because it won't feel right.
1: Right. I um, And if I were going to play the director game, part of me wants to see a Mission Impossible movie directed by Gareth Evans. I believe it's Evans. It's uh, the guy who did the raid movies. Oh, I haven't seen the raid movies. Future Missing Frames. You're going to be sold. visiting. You're going to be visiting here in a, a few weeks now, so well, maybe yes, I am. maybe we'll find a way to make that work. I uh, think but we I think I think those are two of the great action movies of all time. Um that would be fun to see him take on okay. a big budget movie. I don't know if he could do he'd have to tone down his kind of tendencies for brutal violence, but he's got the skills and he's made top-notch action movies for a, the smallest fraction of their budgets. so i would love to see what he can do if he gets access to the big toys but um i guess the last thing to do is give our final ratings for fallout and then your final revised series Ooh. ranking for mission impossible so let's say uh how many uh tom cruise broken ankles would you give mission impossible fallout on a scale from one to five five being the highest
2: Five broken ankles. (laughs) Same. I I can say that without hesitation. And hands down. um, He earns those broken
1: ankles for sure.
2: It's not just five broken ankles. It's five really broken ankles. (laughs) And uh, I I mean, for my money, I know that we differ a bit on the the ranking, but like Rogue Nation and Fallout, they function as a duology. Mm. uh, And I think that they're somewhat inseparable in terms of like if i want something that ends a little more low if i want something that's a little more laid back i'll watch rogue nation tonight if i want something where it's like i gotta i gotta have so much energy that i want to go for a run afterward i'm gonna watch (laughs) fallout you know and they're both excellent and i don't lose either way so exactly i uh
1: i think my my ranking where i would put it is ghost protocol i think will always be my favorite part of me feels like fallout is better um I uh, it is in terms of <laughs> in terms of pure visceral action. I think Fallout is just like it, it's it's amazing. So I would go same ranking. I would just do four, six, five, three, one, two. I think is what I would do. <laughs>
2: and again, five. Why five, do any of us? Why do any of us even mention two? I we I all don't know. know it's all it's every all
1: not a single. If you have a ranking that that puts mission impossible two higher than the lowest of
2: the and list. your last name is not mike schindler. and you're
1: not and you're not mike schindler i want to hear from you reach out to me at yay sean doorman on twitter and why don't you reach out to john as well john where can people find you on twitter
2: oh find me as kessel junkie and of course you can find me lurking here on the network over on aggressive negotiations and great shot kid
1: right and check out the nerd party as well lots of great shows uh NerdParty.com, and you can check us out on Facebook, The Nerd Party, and also on Twitter at Join Nerd Party. Feel free to like us, follow us, do whatever. Uh, we really appreciate your support. And speaking of support, if you feel so inclined, please do give us a rating on iTunes or whatever system you're listening on to this. On all the ratings you possibly can, all the best ratings helps us out a lot, and we really appreciate it and uh john thank you thank you thank you thank you for being back on the show
2: always my pleasure and you know as usual if it's if it's a sequel you've basically set up the bat signal and i'm going to be on the show so it, there you go
1: exactly and <laughs> uh you might not be so grateful after i tell you that i've set up your microphone to self-destruct in five seconds
0: oh no ah!